You're listening to the Radical Disruption Podcast with Maya Nicole, nursing student turned multi-six-figure online entrepreneur. Here we talk all things real and raw when it comes to entrepreneurship and what it really takes to get to the next level. Leave the small biz talk at the door and buckle up for the tangible, tactical, and actionable steps that will help guide you in building a disruptive business. Let's dive into the show. All right, I am seriously so excited about this podcast episode. On Instagram last week, I put up a question box on my stories asking for different situations and scenarios that come up in business and or on social media that you were curious about how I would navigate. And so, 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 so many great situations were submitted. On today's episode, I'm going to run through 10 of them but I will actually probably end up doing a part two of this episode in the future because there were so many great responses that I wasn't able to get to that I really want to get to. So stay tuned for that in the future. But let's dive into those 10 different scenarios and how I would navigate them. Situation number one, when people ask, how do I fix it? But the answer is long and comprehensive and exactly what I created my programs for. So basically, how do you answer that question in a way that isn't just buy my program? I'm not sure how to add value without blowing them off or being salesy. So that was situation number one. And my response to this, this is such a common situation that I see amongst all business owners. When people DM me asking this type of question, I usually approach it in this way. First, I will thank them for reaching out. Then I will say something along the lines of, you know, this is a really in-depth question with lots of layers to it, but here are three main things that I would focus on. And then I would give them, you know, a few tips, just something that's a, not necessarily like general that it's not going to be helpful, but also something that's not going to take you a lot of time to type out and give them in response. So I'm going to list out those three things and three is just a random number, right? It, it could be, you know, two things. It could be five things. It really just depends on what their question is and what your response would be, obviously, to that question. Next, I will then refer them to my offer and I will let them know that I created my offer to answer their specific question in depth and give them the resources that they need to actually fix whatever their problem is. Then I will end the message, this direct message, by sharing that I have a bunch of free information on my feed on Instagram and a few free resources also linked in my bio if they prefer to start there. And I really like this structure of giving a short answer and then sharing my offer. And I don't think that there's anything salesy about sharing my offer because I'm a business owner and businesses sell. And the literally the reason why I created the offer was to help someone in that exact position with that exact problem. And also, because I give so much freaking value on my feed, on my podcast, in my emails, so I'm giving a lot of free value. And so because of that, I don't feel bad pitching them into my offer. Something else that you can do as well, depending on the question, is you can send them a piece of your content that might relate to their question or answer maybe a portion of their question. And then you can let them know if they want more information, they can join your offer. So you can say, hey, thanks for reaching out. 
you know, here's a piece of content that I posted in the past that kind of relates to this question, um, you know, might answer a few things for you. And then also pitching them into your offer and saying, if you're wanting that more in-depth information, I also have this offer and you can link it for them as well. Situation number two, being open about how much you charge without scaring people off with your prices. Okay, I'm just going to come out and say this. There's a lot more to this conversation than I have time for in this specific episode. Maybe it's something I'll talk about a little bit more in depth in a future episode. But when it comes to pricing not being a shock to people, it really boils down to the value that you show beforehand. So I would navigate this situation by making sure that I really break down why someone needs the offer add in some storytelling, you know, for the emotional connection aspect of it, make sure that there is a really clear outcome, and then I would share the pricing. A few other things to think about as well is making sure that you're speaking to people who value your price, making sure that you, you as the business owner, value your prices and are confident in what you charge And then the last thing is having confidence in what you offer. So there's having confidence in what you charge in terms of pricing, but then there's also just having confidence in what you offer and also who you are as a business owner and as the expert. Those are just a few things to think about. But something else that came to my mind as I was thinking about pricing, and I feel like I need to talk about this, is pricing transparency. I am a big fan of pricing transparency, meaning that I am a big fan of sharing the cost of your offers up front and having them easy to access. So not hidden behind a sales call or buried in a sales page or just hiding it in general. And if you're in a business where you don't have like an exact set rate, even just saying, you know, starting at like $600 or something along those lines is better than not sharing any rates at all. So if your rates vary, It's better to share like a starting rate than it is to share nothing at all. But that's just my opinion. So my opinion aside, though, there are a lot of benefits to pricing transparency. Number one, it can lead to customer confidence because they know the cost up front without having to dig for it or contact someone. Number two, it lowers your cost as a business owner, money and time costs. If pricing is clear, people aren't going to be reaching out to you whether that's, you know, direct messages or emails about pricing because the pricing is there and easy for them to access, or you're not going to have to hop on sales calls or discovery calls, whatever you call them, because the pricing is upfront. And it's going to make you money because you can use that time doing things that then make you money. Number three, it allows your customers to make more confident purchasing decisions because they know the pricing. Number four, your pricing can help you to set yourself apart from other businesses and really showcase the quality of your offers. So when you have that pricing up front, people can look at your offers and say, okay, well, you know, this business was priced at this and, you know, this person's offer is priced at this and this business. And they can really, again, kind of going back to number three, where it gives them more confidence in their purchasing decision because they can really kind of weigh their options. And again, it helps to also showcase the quality of your offers because if your offers are priced accordingly, by accordingly, I mean like based off of their value, if they're priced accordingly, every offer is going to be different. Every business is going to be different for sure. But 
if the offer is priced accordingly, then it can really showcase the quality of your offer. And number five, it honors your customer's time. This one's really important. People are busy. (laughs) They do not want to jump through hoops to see your pricing. They want to see your prices right when they're looking, right when they're doing their research, right when they're ready to buy. Also, this is not one of the points, but I just had to share this because this is literally like one of the most mind-blowing statistics that I've heard. I heard this on a training, and don't quote me on this because I don't have a citation for this statistic, but I heard one time that business owners lose 70% of sales by not sharing their pricing up front. And I mean, that was shocking to me alone, but also it made me reflect on like my myself as a customer and like the way that I go about like kind of like my user habits basically as a customer. I'm totally one of those people where if you don't have pricing transparency, I'm gone. I literally could have my credit card out ready to buy. And if there's not pricing, if I can't find it, if you're making me dig for it, I'm gone. I am gone. That's just the type of customer that I am. Obviously, I know that I'm I'm not the way that I purchase is not the way that everyone purchases, but it really that hearing that statistic really made me think about myself as a customer. So that is something I recommend you reflecting on is what are your buying habits and how do you go about, you know, purchasing based off of whether the pricing is there or whether it's not there. Just something interesting to think about. All right. Situation number three. Someone missing monthly payments in a course and losing access. There were a lot of questions that were submitted, or I guess scenarios, situations that were submitted about failed payments or clients ghosting and not paying their payments. So I just want to say, you're not alone. I've experienced this, and every business will experience this at one time or another. Having a system of procedure or an SOP for this type of situation is so important. I share my full SOP for failed payments inside of the online blueprint, but let me give you a quick rundown breakdown of the steps for that I personally use for handling failed payments. And but actually, before I even do that, though, side note, if you want to be able to handle failed payments well, you need to have good terms of use and contracts. If you do not have good terms of use and contracts, it's going to be very, very hard for you to collect your money and it's going to be hard for you to go through these steps. So that is step one. This is like the pre-step to what I'm going to be sharing these next three steps. That's the pre-step, making sure that you have those legal things set up. So terms of use or contracts or whatever it makes sense in terms of the business and the offer. Okay, with all that being said, number one, communication is key. Make sure you have failed payment emails set up so your customers know what's going on and how to update their payment. Most of the time, so inside of the, what I have set up inside of Kajabi, as well as my connection with Stripe, because I only ever do payment plans or memberships or, or I guess subscriptions through Stripe. I don't do it through PayPal. I only do it through Stripe. That's a whole nother conversation for another day, but I do mine through Stripe. And so within Kajabi, as well as in Stripe, I have it set up so that when there is a failed payment, there's an automated email that gets sent out to this customer to let them know that there was a failed payment and giving them the instructions to update their payment. 
most of the time, I would say like 90, probably 97% of the time, at least in my business, that email, that's all that I need to send to that customer is just that, hey, you need to update your payment. It happens. It happens. People get new cards. Cards expire. It's going to happen. So don't panic if that does happen. Make sure that you do, though, have that failed payment email set up. Okay. That being said, though, if you are removing access to an offer because of missed payments, I usually do this after multiple missed payments, not usually on the first time because, again, usually most people aren't missing payments because they, you know, don't have money or they're trying to, you know, get out of something. Most of the time it's because they need to update their card. So I personally, obviously, you don't have to run it this way in your business, but I personally don't remove access until... I can't even remember what's inside of my my terms of use or my contracts. I want to say until like the fourth attempt or maybe the third attempt. Anyways, it's, it's written down. But when you are removing access, it's really, really important to let them know and make sure that you're referencing your terms of use and or your contract. So that way it's very, very clear. And that isn't going to be an automated email. That's going to be an email that you or your team, and even if you don't have a team, Pro tip here. What I recommend is with these heavier types of topics, even if you don't have a team, you can sign off your emails as like, I mean, I sign off, my team does as like Team Maya Nicole. But if you don't have a team, you can still sign it off as Team someone else. That way it's not like seeming like it's coming directly from you, it's coming from your team. And it kind of like separates you from the situation and it's less of like a personal thing, in my opinion. So that's kind of a pro tip there. Obviously, you don't have to do that. But this isn't going to be an automated email that gets sent out. If once, you know, there are multiple failed payments, that's going to be your team reaching out to them and letting them know what's going to happen moving forward, including that they're going to get, you know, access removed until they update their payments. Or if they make that payment, then they're going to, you know, get access again. But that's going to be an email that is personally sent to that person, not an automated failed payment email. Okay. Number two, after the second failed payment, I usually personally reach out, actually not me though, my team actually reaches out to the customer to let them know what things will look like moving forward if failed payments continue and a reminder on how to update their payment information. This is all based off of, again, what I have inside of my terms of use or contracts for failed payments. I literally have a section, whether it's a payment plan or a subscription, there is a whole section on first failed payment, second failed payment, third failed payment, fourth failed payment, I even have even additional sections as well in there, but I have a whole thing where it's like, you know, after the first failed payment, this is action that we're going to take. After the second failed payment, this is the action we're going to take. After the third failed payment, you know, so it, it it's all lined out there. And so I don't even have to think like, oh, you know, what is, what is the action I'm going to take? I always just referencing, well, I mean, I don't have to do this anymore because I have my systems or my SOPs all written out. But when I was originally getting them written out, I would just reference my terms of use or my contracts for failed payments. And then number three, and lastly, in terms of handling these failed payments or, you know, potentially someone not paying, if failed payments continue and the customer hasn't responded to any of your previous emails, so not only are they going to be getting emails from you personally or your team personally at this point, but they also will have those multiple failed payment automated emails that were sent out. If there's been no communication at all during this time, something that you can think about doing moving forward is you can send a demand letter, you can send that payment to collections, or you can get a lawyer involved. And 
obviously it, it depends on the amount, you know, that you're trying to collect. Would it make sense, in my opinion, to get a lawyer involved if you know, you're trying to collect something that's $20? Uh, probably not, right? Whereas, you know, if you're trying to collect a payment from someone that's, you know, a thousand plus dollars or, you know, even more than that, could it potentially make sense for you getting a lawyer involved? Yeah. But there's also the option of sending it to collections. And then there's also the option of just sending a demand letter, which is basically just, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds. It's, it's demanding that they pay and it's a letter that you send actually in the mail to their house. It's a little bit more official than getting an email. And so that's something else that you can do in terms of those failed payments. But again, at the end of the day, in my personal experience, most people just need to update their credit card information or their, you know, debit card information. And from there, you're not going to really have any issues. It's those people who, you know, aren't responding, those people who, you know, don't don't update their payment plans or their payment uh, information that you're going to have issues with. So that's that. Situation number four, people that keep asking you questions via direct message after your coaching with them has ended. I personally would say something along the lines of, thanks for reaching out. Our container ended on April 1st, but I would love to continue offering one-on-one support if you're wanting to renew your container. (laughs) And I would just leave it at that. If you're wanting to get a little bit more official, you could say something along the lines of, you know, that is a really great question. As per our contract, no coaching will take place outside of our, you know, four-week container or however long your container was. If you'd like to continue our coaching and getting support, I offer all repeat clients a 10% discount, and then you can leave the link for them to, you know, potentially sign up for another container with you. And the reason why that one's a little bit more fi- official is because you're referencing the contract. And so that that is totally always an option, in my opinion. And something that I think is actually a really great business practice, too, is to reference the contract just because they signed it. And, you know, it's not to say that they know every word of the contract, but when you are referencing the contract, it does make it more official instead of like, no, I just don't want to help you. It's like this is actually, you know, contractually outside of what you agreed to. Also, something else that's really important too is to make sure that you are offboarding your clients so that it's very, very clear that the container has ended. Once I started implementing an offboarding process in my business, I stopped having situations like this come up because the offboarding process, you know, it's a very official type of process depending on how you do it. And it's very, very clear that, hey, the container has ended. So when I wasn't doing offboarding and it was just like, okay, that's the end. Then I was having people coming back very similar to this and asking me questions inside of even my email, even inside of Voxer, which is where I communicate with my clients and even inside of my direct messages too. And it is kind of an awkward conversation to have of like, hey, our container has ended, you know? So I think that as business owners, sometimes we can do a little bit better on our end to make sure that things are very, very clear. Obviously, most people know like, hey, the container has ended, but just making sure that that is very, very clear with your offboarding process. All right, situation number five. This is our halfway mark for situations. Someone asking for a coupon code when the discount just expired. All right, this one I take on a case-by-case basis, and here's why. I'm actually going to give you a scenario of this. I just finished up a pre-sale of scalability And a day after the price had increased, I had a past one-on-one client reach out saying that there was a snowstorm in their town, knocked out all of their power for like, I want to say like 
four or five days, like a while. I think she actually said it was like an ice storm. Anyways, so she reached out. She's like, I haven't been able to get onto my emails until this day, which was one day after the pre-sale price had ended. And she asked if I would honor the pre-sale price. I get that things come up, that life happens. And in this scenario, it was kind of out of her control. I mean, she can't control the snowstorm knocking out power, (laughs) you know, and so I did honor the price for her. But that being said, there are definitely situations where I wouldn't honor that price. So if I received an email from someone who just simply forgot to purchase or they thought that the sale was ending on a different day, I usually don't give them a discount or I don't you know, bring back that price for them or the sale for them because I send out plenty of reminders. I have countdowns in my emails. So it is very clear when the sale is ending. And so I usually respond with something like, hey, I would love to have you inside of scalability. The pre-sale ended yesterday, but there's still so much value in getting in now. Here's the link to join at the current pricing. So again, it really is a case-by-case basis. And you're probably thinking, well, that's kind of unfair. It's not that like, (laughs) it's not about fairness in my opinion. It's like, if you reached out to me and you're like, hey, you know, I've been in the hospital. It's like, okay, well, you probably have actually been in the hospital. And if you're lying to get back pre-sale prices, um, then that's pretty low in my opinion of, of what you're doing. But most people are, you know, pretty honest. It's like, hey, I was in the hospital. Of course, I'm going to be, you know, understanding of that because again, life happens. But if it's just like, hey, I just simply forgot. It's like, okay, well, I sent out five emails. You know, you could have purchased on the first day. And I also had countdowns inside of those emails. So case by case basis. And again, that's just how I run my business personally. But it also (laughs) made me think about a situation that kind of ties into this where people are asking for the sale price when they actually purchased before the sale. If you walked into Target today and you purchased a blender and then two weeks later you walk into Target again and that blender is on sale, you're not going to freak out at Target for not alerting you about the sale before you purchased it because you know that sales are oftentimes just random. That's literally just how it works. Same exact concept applies to your business. If someone purchases your offer two weeks before your sale and they reach out, I would say well, how I would approach this, me personally, is I would say you're now two weeks closer to XYZ outcome than you would have been if you had purchased today. And I would just leave it at that. That's just my personal take on that. Again, like I think a lot of times with the online business space, we kind of, I don't even want to say the business owners kind of forget this, but sometimes I think we do as well. But just as consumers, I think that they feel like, I don't know if it's that consumers don't think that we're actually legit businesses or I don't know. I really, I don't have an answer to that, but people don't like, they don't think about, oh, if I walked into a brick and mortar store, how would I be approached (laughs) if I walked into a brick and mortar store and I said, hey, you know, I want to return this blender because it was on sale. I used it, you know, and I got value out of it, but I bought it two weeks ago and now it's on sale. So I'm going to return it, you know, like, in my opinion, I would kind of like, I'd be like, are you, are you joking? Like, are you serious right now? <laughs> you know? And so I just think like sometimes we forget to like almost relate like how it would be in a brick and mortar store to our online businesses, if that makes any sense. I don't know. That's just what I think about sometimes. I think about, okay, well, 
you know, if my online business wasn't online, if it was actually a brick and mortar store, you know, how would a brick and mortar store navigate this type of situation? And oftentimes it it is kind of different than what, you know, how I might have navigated it. And so I just make sure that like I, I really do treat my business like a business. All right. Situation number six. How would you navigate your Instagram account being disabled or shut down? So I've actually had my Instagram account disabled on accident for, it was for two and a half weeks in 2021. And in terms of navigation though, I think it's less about how to handle it when it happens and more about how to prepare for it if it does. So things that I personally would do to prepare for it, number one, I would get either Notch Instagram insurance or now you can kind of do Meta Verified. I don't know. I That's a whole conversation too. Maybe I should create a podcast episode on that. That's such a hot topic right now, Meta Verified. But inside of Meta Verified, one of the things that they promise is that you're going to get better uh, like customer support. So I would say that, you know, I, obviously, this is just assuming. I can't speak from personal experience, but I would assume that with Meta Verified, you do have some sort of customer support access in case your account is disabled or something happens to it. Again, I can't speak from personal experience. I can actually speak from personal experience with Notch Instagram insurance, which is what I actually have, and I have paid for this since I think October of 2022. So it's been about I don't even know, six months now that I've been paying for Notch Instagram insurance. And they do actually uh, help if your account gets disabled. Even they don't say like hacking protection, but they do help if that were to end up happening. And so I do pay for that. And so that is something that I do, I guess, that I have done in preparation for something potentially happening. But on the other side of things, not necessarily things that you have to pay for, Number two would be building my business elsewhere, like on other social media platforms, email marketing, having a website. So, I mean, it's just all about not throwing all of your eggs into one basket. And I don't think, like me personally, when I say, oh, don't throw all of your eggs into one basket, that doesn't mean, oh, you need to be on YouTube and Pinterest and TikTok and email marketing and you need to have the perfect website and you need to be on Instagram and you need to be on LinkedIn and you need to have a podcast and like... (laughs) There's so many platforms out there. I would just say choose two, stick with those two, and then add on email marketing on top of that. That's personally what I would say. And so that way you have things to fall back on, right? So like if something does end up happening to, let's just say your account gets disabled, you can send out an email to those who are on your email list and keep them updated. And you can say, hey, you know, this is what's happening on Instagram until things get fixed let's connect on TikTok and here's the link to follow me on TikTok and you can connect there or, you know, whatever other platform you're on. And so I think there's a lot of power in that. And then obviously if you're on TikTok, you can post on TikTok and say, hey, this is what happened with my Instagram. I'll keep you updated with everything, but you have those other platforms to lean back on. And the other thing that I would say is I know for myself that if I lost my Instagram account, whether it was, you know, permanently disabled or, you know, it got hacked or shut down for whatever reason, I would be sad for sure because I put so much time and energy into it, but I also know that I can build it again. I did it once, I can do it again. So that's kind of my mentality with it. And I've actually played with the idea over even just the last few months of like, who maybe I should like just start a new Instagram account just for the fun of it. Not because my Instagram account isn't going well right now. Obviously it is. But I think for me, like I just always like experimenting with new things and kind of like being a case study. So 
that I don't know. I, I played around with that idea. Obviously, I'll keep you updated if that ends up happening for reals. But again, I just have the confidence of I've done it once and I can do it again. And also just knowing that I have, you know, built brand awareness and built my brand on other platforms. So I'm not throwing all my eggs into one basket. All right. Situation number seven, a past client wanting past prices after you've raised your prices quite a bit. How I would navigate this. I would say to them, hey, I am honored that you're wanting to work with me again. That being said, since we last worked together, my prices have increased for XYZ reasons. List out a few reasons or honestly, you don't even have to give reasons there if you don't want to. I'm a big believer that you're a business owner and you don't have to justify anything if you don't want to. You don't have to explain anything if you don't want to. So you can leave that part out if you wanted to. But anyways, uh, my prices have increased for XYZ reasons. So if you'd like to re-sign as a client, these are my current rates and packages. And then I would, of course, either link those or you know give a little graphic or whatever makes sense in terms of getting them that new information. If the client doesn't want to honor your current rates, then they might not be a good fit for one-on-one coaching. I'm assuming that that's what this question was specifically about is like a one-on-one type of service. They might not be a good fit for your one-on-one services anymore. That being said, though, they might be a good fit for one of your other offers, like maybe a program or maybe a course or I don't know, something else, a masterclass that you have coming up. Or maybe they're not even a good fit for any of that, or maybe you don't have any of those. Something else that you could do if you feel comfortable is you could refer them to someone else and say, hey, you know what? I don't think this would be a good fit for you right now because of XYZ reasons. And I would let them know. And I would say that being said, though, here's someone else that I would refer you to. And then obviously, like either linking their website or linking their Instagram account. Uh, I do this actually a lot of times when I turn people down for one-on-one coaching is I'll either refer them into one of my other offers that will be a better fit for them, or I will refer them to someone else if I can think of someone else that would be a good fit for them. Like, for example, if you reach out to me for one-on-one coaching and, you know, you're looking for a lot more of like the brand partnership side of things, I'm going to refer you to someone who's a brand partnership expert, because even though I do have experience in brand partnerships, that's not where my expertise lies. And I really want to be able to make sure that you're getting the best experience possible. And I might not be able to give that to you just because that's not my, where my expertise lies. But I'm going to refer you to someone else if I know someone else who would be helpful for you in that situation of whatever it is that you're trying to, you know, learn about or accomplish. Situation number eight, how would you navigate someone buying into a program and then not showing up? I wouldn't. It's not my job to take action for people or to hold their hand as they take action. If you have a one-on-one coaching container where you say that you will do that, then that's a different story, right? Because obviously, if you're promising to, you know, hold their hand and walk them through those steps, then you need to deliver on that promise. But if someone joins a program, which is a group offer, and they don't show up, that's on them. That's not on you. And also, you can't let the focus of one person not showing up distract you from all the, I don't, I don't know how many people are inside your program, but, you know, tens, if not, you know, hundreds of people that are showing up inside of that program. So I have a question for you. Do you join a program and expect the person teaching to hold you accountable for showing up? 
I know that I don't. I hold myself accountable in every single offer I join, even one-on-one coaching. Because here's the thing. It's no one's job to show up for my business except for my own. It's no one's job to care for my business except for my own. It's no one's job to serve my customers except for my own. With the exception, of course, if you have a team for support, you know, but you get my point where it's it's my job to show up. It's not anyone else's job. And another thing that I would pose a question is how many courses, <laughs> calling everyone out here, calling myself out, honestly, how many courses have you purchased that you've never gone through? You know what I'm saying? And so are you then mad at the course creator that you haven't gone through their course and that you haven't, you know, shown up and put in the work? No. I mean, if you are, then that's that's a problem. <laughs> but, you know, in my opinion, no, right? Like, I'm not mad at someone if I don't show up inside of their container the way that I should be showing up inside of their container. So I wouldn't navigate that because there's no no need to to worry about that. And something else, too, that's actually coming through that I totally didn't think about as I was thinking about this situation originally, but this actually could be another thing that's coming through or that could, I guess, potentially be happening is, you know, you have someone who signs up for a program and then suddenly, I don't know, let's just say, you know, their mom suddenly starts having health problems and they're not able to show up in that program, but you do offer the recording of that program. And, you know, let's just say two months after the program is ended, they finally have, you know, a little bit more time in their schedule you know, and their mom's health is finally, you know, uh, she's in recovery and things are doing a little bit better and they have the time then to go back into that program and watch the recording. And I see this actually happen a lot of times, not necessarily like that exact situation, but life comes up where they expect to be able to interact inside of that program and then something happens and then they, they're grateful that there's the recording so that they can refer back to it you know, whenever makes sense for them. And I've had this happen inside of uh, actually specifically the online blueprint. I was just inside of the Facebook group page and I was looking for some testimonies that I could screenshot. And uh, it was round one of the online blueprint. And once the programs ended, I usually don't go back into like the Facebook group pages or anything like that. But I was looking for those testimonials and actually came across a message that uh, (laughs) this was posted like two days ago inside the Facebook group page where someone was saying, I finally have the time to sit down and go through this program. That was literally, I think I ran that program for the first time in September of 2022. And someone is just having the time in April of 2023 to go through it. And I don't know like what their situation was, but obviously, you know, they were just busy or something came up or life happened and they were just getting back to it. So I would say that there's, there are going to be people who join with the expectation to be able to show up live, but life happens and they'll end up watching the recording and still getting a lot of value from it. So that's something else to think about as well. All right. Situation number nine, someone wanting to book with you, but you don't feel like you're the right fit for them. I want you to think for a second about how you personally would feel if you reached out to to a coach to book with them, you know, to sign up for their their coaching, their mentorship. And they responded with, I don't think that this container is a good fit for you because of XYZ reasons, but here's another offer that I would recommend. Or you could say, or maybe they say, here's a, here's a friend who might be a good fit. I don't know about you, but to me, that speaks volumes about the type of business that they run. They aren't just in it for the money. 
and to sign on anyone that they can to make as much money as possible. They're really in it to serve their clients at the highest level. And they turn away people if they can't serve those people at the highest level. And I'm not saying that if you don't turn away clients, you're just in it for the money. That's literally, please don't take that wrong. That's not what I'm saying. As long as those clients are aligned and people that you can serve at the highest level, then that's great. But again, just really thinking about that situation. And I think to me, again, if I were on the receiving end of that message, I would think, oh, well, I'm so glad that like that they didn't just like convince me to join this program or obviously I, they wouldn't need to convince me if I was reaching out, obviously. But, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't, you know, join this program and not, not get everything out of it that I thought that I was going to get out of it, that this person was actually honest in saying that this wouldn't be a good fit for me. So how I would navigate this situation as a business owner. And I will say I'm an expert at this <laughs> because I turn about 75% of people who reach out to me for one-on-one coaching away. So I only sign on about 25% of those people and they end up obviously being clients. So because of that, I'm obviously an expert, um, but I, I don't overcomplicate it. I say thank you for taking the time to reach out and to fill out my application for one-on-one mentorship. After reviewing your application, I don't think that this container would be a good fit for you for XYZ reasons. And then I either will then link other offers of mine that I would recommend and would feel would be a good fit for them. Or if I don't have any offers that, that I feel like would be a good fit for them, or I just don't have the expertise in what it is that they need help with, I will then give them a reference for someone else that I know who could help them or have offers that could help them. Or sometimes I don't have the answer for either of those. So sometimes I don't have a reference and sometimes I don't have an offer either. And so I would usually just end the message there and just say, you know, I, I wish that you have a good day or I wish that sounds so weird. I hope that you have a good rest of your day or a good rest of your Monday or whatever. So that's how I leave it. Again, I don't overcomplicate it and that's how I navigate it. And I send out a bunch of those types of messages or I guess emails because that's how I communicate with people who reach out to me about one-on-one coaching. But I send out a bunch of those and I don't think that you need to overcomplicate it. I don't think that you need to give a list of 50 reasons why it's not a good fit for them. I honestly don't even think that you need to give any reasons why it's not a good fit for them. But I usually do just because when I originally started like responding in in this way, I didn't give reasons. And I had like two people who messaged me back and were like, hey, like, um, I really appreciate you, you know, respecting my time and my money and not like just saying that this would be a good fit, just that you make money. But I am very curious to know why this wouldn't be a good fit for me. And so I did go ahead and explain to them. And so because I had two people reach out to me and ask that, I actually have implemented that into those emails where I do respond to them if they aren't a good fit. And I give them reasons just because I think it is kind of good to know where it's like, and sometimes honestly, it's just like, I just don't think that we're going to vibe well together. And I am just very brutally honest with people. It doesn't mean that like they're not going to be a good client. It doesn't mean that, you know, like they don't run a good business. Like it has literally nothing to do with that. And usually I'll also place it back on myself. Like I'll, I'll like take the blame if that makes sense, because oftentimes it is me personally, you know, saying like, I don't think this is a good fit. Um, And obviously like I'm the one that's deciding that. So I kind of do I mean, I do take the blame, but also I am at a point in 
my business where I can be picky with the clients that I do take on. It hasn't always been that way. Is that to say that I didn't always want to serve my clients at the highest level? No, but I also just didn't really have, I didn't have the experience. I didn't have a lot of things that I have not now in terms of like knowledge and skills at the beginning of my business that I do now to be able to to turn people away. So that's just how I would approach it is to just keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. All right. Situation number 10 and our very last situation of the episode today. How do I navigate objections? I don't. At least not in the direct messages. I have a post on this on my Instagram feed from a few months ago, but I want to give some extra context to this. There are very few things that I am against in business that I haven't tried myself at one point or another in my journey. And overcoming objections is something that I have tried. When I was in network marketing, I was drilled, like drilled, drilled, drilled on how to overcome objections. I literally, I kid you not, I had a 20-page PDF script of how to overcome objections, what to say, sales tactics. You know, if you overcome one objection, how to overcome the second objection, how to overcome the third objection. I wouldn't say I was an objection overcomer expert, but I was very well educated on it and I use those techniques daily. But there were a few problems that I saw in my clients when I signed them on by overcoming their objections over and over and over again in the direct messages. And that is that they weren't the best clients. Totally not their fault at all. It was my own fault 100%. Like it literally had nothing to do with them and everything to do with me. They signed on because they felt pressured or obligated and not because they genuinely wanted to sign up. And when you pressure people to buy, in my experience and in my opinion, they are more likely to be the customers or clients who fail on payments. They dispute payments. They complain. They ask 5 million questions. They don't show up for calls. They don't honor your time. They don't respect your boundaries. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not, 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 not saying that you can't overcome objections in a way that doesn't lead to those types of clients, but that is something that I have seen not just from my own experience in overcoming objections, but also from other people's businesses as well. I've had quite a few one-on-one clients who have reached out to me and saying, hey, this is what I'm currently struggling with right now, and it was either disputed payments Or, you know, they have a client who doesn't respect their boundaries and we dig to the root of it. And it's oftentimes because they are overcoming objection after objection after objection after objection. And I also like to think about my own customer experience, like how I like to be interacted with as a customer. I hate when people sit down and overcome objections. If I want to talk to my husband, I'm going to talk to my husband and nothing that you can say will change that. If I want to think about it, I genuinely want to think about it. And you like creating urgency, trying to overcome my objection to get me to buy isn't making me any more likely to buy. Obviously, again, this is how I personally am as a customer. I know that this isn't how it is for everyone, but if I don't like it, then why would I do it to someone else too? 
I truly believe in trusting my customers to know what is or isn't for them at the end of the day. And if they have questions, they'll ask and I will answer. And if they want to buy, they're going to buy. And if it's not the right time for them, it's not the right time for them. And I truly believe that if it's not the right time right now, there's still a right time later on down the road. I can't even tell you how many situations I've seen in my own personal business where someone will reach out to me and they'll ask me a question, let's just say about IG University, and I'll answer all their questions. And, you know, I'll send them over the link and they'll say, you know what, this is just isn't the right time for me. And I'm like, okay, no worries whatsoever. You know, I'm here if you have any other questions. And of course, like, you know, my Instagram feed is full of free resources. And, you know, if you get signed up for my email list, I send out additional free resources there. And they're like, okay, thank you. And then two, three, even sometimes six months later, I'll get a notification that they tagged me on stories and I'll look and they signed up for IG University. <laughs> and so I, I truly believe that it, they're going to come around at some time. If it's not the right time for them right now, eventually they're going to come around on their own time frame, right? Where it's like, I obviously not everyone's going to come around in two weeks from now. Some people, it might take them two years and that's totally fine. I, I saw this so much in network marketing where there were people that I literally reached out to for joining like my network marketing team at the very, 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 very beginning of when I started my business. Those people that I reached out to at the very beginning ended up joining at the near end of when I, you know, finished off my network marketing business. And so people will come around when it's their own time, when, you know, they, they need that solution to their problem and they recognize that, you know, you have that solution. And I love something that my mentor says about overcoming objections. She says, I would rather receive an empowered no than a convinced, manipulated yes. So that's what I, I leave you with, I guess. Actually, that's, that's not all. That's, that's not all. Because with all that being said, something that I think is really important to say here is that this doesn't mean that you can't ever address objections or overcome objections. I believe in addressing objections and overcoming objections. I just address them on sales pages, in FAQs, on Instagram stories, and through my content. I don't sit and go back and forth in my direct messages overcoming objection after objection after objection. So there's power in overcoming objection, and it's really important, in my opinion, in the sales and marketing process. That being said, though, the way that feels most authentic to me, because I'm always going to speak from personal experience and my own personal opinion, what feels most authentic to me is not overcoming objection after objection after objection in my direct messages, but often taking those objections and not directly speaking of like, I just got a direct message from Susan on Instagram and her objection was this. Let's talk about it. Like not like directly like that. Like I'm not talking about calling people out, but also it does give you really good information that you can address on things like a sales page or FAQs or on your stories where, you know, you might hop on stories and let's just say that someone had the objection of, you know, I don't have enough time. So now when you go onto stories and you market whatever offer, you know, they were saying that they don't have enough time for, you can really strategically talk about that offer in terms of how it's going to give time back to them, how, you know, all they have to spend is potentially five minutes per day, or, you know, it's something that they can listen to as they're, you know, doing their hot girl walks this summer. You know, you can really think about that objection and then you can address that objection on your stories. And odds are high too, where, 
if one person has the objection, other people are going to have that objection too. And so I think there's a lot of power in, in addressing it in more of like a, I don't want to say like a mass setting, but kind of, you know, addressing it more to like the community versus just one person. So that is something I'll say is kind of going back to that situation where the question is, how do I navigate objections? I do navigate objections, but not in my direct messages. I navigate them elsewhere. So that is it. That's, that is a wrap for today's episode on how I'd navigate that. I covered a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of topics today, 10 situations total. And I really hope that they were helpful and gave you a good kind of like a toolkit of how to navigate different situations that might come up in your own business. And with all that being said, I hope that you pulled out your pen and paper. Now it's a little late. I should have said this at the beginning, but I don't know. You can always listen back, I guess. Pulled out your pen and paper and took some notes and wrote down some scripts because these are, it just makes your life so much easier, in my opinion, as a business owner when you go into these situations knowing how you're going to navigate them versus the situation pops up and you're like, I literally have no idea. Because <laughs> that's how uh, most of these situations, the way that I learned how to navigate these situations was by doing that. And I wish that I had listened to an episode like this where someone was walking through how they navigated it so that I could think to myself, oh, how would I navigate that if that came up potentially? Because here are the th- here's the thing. Most of these things, most business owners, you are highly likely to have to navigate a situation like this one, exactly like this one, or very similar to this one. So that's just something that I would say is, you know, pulling out that pen and paper, writing down these different scripts, but also just asking yourself too about these 10 different situations here. And let me actually run through and recap on that. So if if you're listening, I really like when people do a recap. So let me do a recap. So situation number one is when people ask, how do I fix it? How do you navigate that in a way that's not salesy? Situation number two was being open about how much you charge without scaring people off with your prices. Situation number three, someone missing monthly payments in a course and losing access. Situation number four was people that keep asking you questions via direct message after your coaching has ended. Situation number five, someone asking for a coupon code when the discount just expired. Situation number six, how would you navigate your account being disabled or shut down? Situation number seven, a past client wanting past pricing after you've raised your prices quite a bit. Situation number eight, how would you navigate someone buying into a program and then not showing up? Situation number nine, someone wanting to book with you, but you don't feel like you're the right fit for them. And situation number 10, how do you navigate objections? So I really want you to think about those 10 different situations. And I want you to write out your own you know, scripts, your own SOPs for how you would handle these different things and how you're going to navigate them so that when they do come up, there's no panic of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? It's very, very clear because you already have these systems put into place. You already have these scripts. You already know how you're going to navigate these things. So that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has served you in any way, I'd love it if you shared what you've learned, any aha moments that you may have had, or something that you loved, and tag me on Instagram at Maya Nicole. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review so that we can continue to learn and grow together. Thank you so much for your support. I love you, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.